Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from Nathan Herndon. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app, our website, for ways to give. Hey, I just want to say uh, a huge uh, good morning to you all, a happy Resurrection Sunday, um, and uh, Man, I, I just look out and see we're kind of packed to the gills here, and man, that is always beautiful. And so if you are new or newer with us, I just want to say, uh, just from my heart to, to yours, from Providence's heart to yours, um, you don't have to perform for us. We're just glad that you are here uh, sharing our space with us, and we believe in you, and we like you already, uh, if you are new with us. Um, I, you know, sometimes when you uh, have a strange family, and you bring guests to the family, and you feel like you have to apologize uh, to your friends for your family. Do you know that? I kind of, I, I kind of feel like I need to do that at Providence uh, because uh, Providence is so whack, you know. So, and in so many great ways. Uh, but I, if you're new with this and uh, you're weirded out by people, uh, there's no shofars going off today. But that, that usually that's the norm. Uh, but, but there's lots of dancers, lots of flags, lots of stuff like that. I just, uh, I'm not apologizing for that, but I'm just explaining it to you. Um, at Providence, we let people's hearts go wild. Uh, because we haven't been, uh, we haven't been bo- uh, brought into a religious system. We've been brought into a family with a father who's done everything for us. And so like, uh, like when the door gets open and the dad comes home from work and the kids go crazy, that's how we let people uh, go around here. So ultimately, I, if you see over here, we say that we're a Jesus church. Ultimately, what that means is that people don't decide, Jesus does. And so... Uh, just thought I would, I would just let you know that from the start today, that if, if you're like, wow, these people are kind of cool, I think I, they're, kinda, they're, they're, my, they're my lane, I just want to let you know that Jesus is ultimately the pastor of this house, and, uh, and whatever he likes is what we try to do, imperfectly as it goes, but I hope that makes sense to you. Um, I think what, what has happened to the church is we've made it so much about people, we've tried, to, we've tried to tame Jesus down and water him down, but he's actually wild. And he actually wants to change your life. And, uh, and you, get, you get a little nuts when you're changed by Jesus. And so I'm just, I'm just not apologizing for that anymore. And if you're new with this, uh, we didn't gather for you this morning. But man, you could be blessed as we gather for Jesus. I just want to be clear on that today, all right? As the pastor of this house. <laughs> Yeah, so man, there's a lot of pressure uh, just to, to do it right for everybody, but you know what? Jesus did it right for us, like pressure off. So th- that's, so I just wanted to say welcome. I also wanted to ask this, was anybody here for imposter last night? Was that, were you, was that awesome? Yeah, so really great. I, I, I'm really astounded by just the, the talent and stuff in this house, but you know who I'm really astounded by is Phil Payne, um, and he's really the creative genius behind all that. Can we just thank him for, for pioneering that? Yeah. It, it was so great to, to see, uh, man, creatives need to come back to church. I think we've told them what they can't do and that the only, the only expression that you can have is, is nice uh, songs on a Sunday. But man, I, I just want to say this, calling all creatives, come back to church. There's, the sky's the limit in these days. I think God is doing something, uh, something great and, and, and these are the days where we're not talking about what's not happening in this world. Uh, these are the days where we're talking about what is happening in this world. And what is happening is, is God is calling a generation back to himself and creatives, I think, are the cutting edge of that. And so just want to say, man, I loved what happened last night uh, and it was so, so good. So, man, there's, there's so many uh, things that we could talk about. But if you've got your Bibles this morning, I, I want you to grab them 
And I'm going to start out this morning, uh, you can turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. If you don't have them, um, we will uh, we'll have most of the verses on the screen. Unless I go rogue and crazy, which I'm bound to do, I'm telling you. And I just might start quoting stuff just from the heart uh, and then just follow along and clap. Uh, but uh, I, I want to I talk this morning, I want to open the scriptures, and I want to talk about something that doesn't seem like we should talk about on a Resurrection Sunday morning. And I was sitting over here last night, and as I was watching what was going on on the stage, here's what I felt like the the Holy Spirit whispered to me. I felt like the the Lord uh, dropped into my heart that disappointment has been leading the charge. All right? So this morning, I actually I changed my message. I was just going to get straight to work. I was going to do like an old-fashioned Bible study. I was going to try to just let, really talk about the cross, and I am going to get there. But first, I really believe that God, God is actually excited about any person who is here and is disappointed in any capacity, in any level. Big disappointment, small disappointment, lots of disappointment, a little bit of disappointment. God is excited about you if you're here and you're disappointed. Is that weird to say on Easter? All right, it's kind of weird to say on any day because we, we kind of know a Christianity that if you're not happy and upbeat and smiley, even on your worst day, you're not really pleasing Jesus. But I just don't think that's what the gospel is. I think that God's heart is big enough, just like a, a, a good dad has a heart big enough for his sons and daughters on their good days and their bad days. And so in, um, in, in the kingdom of God, God is good with us when we're happy to see him come home and when we feel let down by him, or in other words, a little bit disappointed. I just believe that if you're here today and, and you're disappointed, maybe you, you define your life by your disappointments. Maybe you often find yourself saying, you know, I was a little disappointed in him. You know, I was a little disappointed in this place. Maybe you're the kind of person that you, you love to go give Google reviews to the restaurants that just, you know, just kind of disappointed you, all right? And you're probably hated too, so we need to pray for you, but that, that's a whole other story. <laughs> Maybe you're, you're just really, really the reality is you love Jesus, you say all the right things and stuff, but what is actually the wind in your sails or what the, the force in your heart or the, the power in your heart is you're disappointed and you're turning bitter and you're turning angry, and you're getting frustrated, and you're taking it out on other people, and disappointment is something that is just hard for you to get over, because really what a disappointed person is is someone that was high on hope and then had their hopes crashing down, and so now they're just disappointed. Man, I thought that. Whoa, like, I, man, this is going to be great, and you're, you're usually disappointed people are the most visionary. They're, they're the people that you want to follow because they're speaking so much hope, but woe to the visionary who has his hopes dashed because <laughs> that person can be a, 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 in a very dark, disappointed kind of place. Not that I know these things, all right, but I've heard, all right? <laughs> I won't go into all my disappointments like when we went to Disney World and they didn't let us in. Yeah, I, I, was, I was fine, uh, but uh, won't go there today. Anyway, yeah, we went to Disney World. <laughs> and uh, we tried to buy tickets at the door. They wouldn't let us in. And it's just it went, when you, the, the reaction to this, this hope and then this letdown is like there was stomping and there was swearing and there was screaming and there was tears. And that was just for my wife, you know. So it was, it was really, I was like, we're in public. You know, save it, save it. It's okay. We'll go to Rainforest Cafe. Everything's fine. It's all fine. It's good. It's good. All right. But lots of times our lives, they turn into, hey, we couldn't have what we really wanted, so we, we settled for something that's second or third rate, and now we have to pretend to be happy about that, all right? And I think that is where many of us find ourselves living 
we thought this, we got that, well, I guess I just have to be happy about it. Then we wrap Christianity around that, and we call that what it is to be Christian, all right? And so I just want to talk this morning about, about the, the uh, I want to speak to those who are disappointed, and I want to say, I find you in Scripture, all right? Jesus actually finds you in Scripture, and I want to say something crazy. I'm, gonna, I'm skipping ahead here. I, I'm getting into it. I want you to hear this. If you're disappointed and you're here today, that does not actually eat, repel Jesus. Jesus actually hunts down the disappointed. You hear that? Let me show you. Because I know that some of you are about to throw rotten tomatoes, all right? And uh, I thought I saw like a little red dot on me. So I, I better get to the scriptures here real, real fast. Listen to this. This is Luke chapter 24, starting with verse 13. This is a, a story that many of us know. This is after the, after, it was, this is actually resurrection day, all right? And here's the scene. It says that very day, that's resurrection day, two of them, that's disciples, two disciples, two Jesus followers, or two people that followed Jesus in his ministry were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were uh, talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, listen to this, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So let me just stop right there. So this is Jesus who is freshly raised, all right? We're this is maybe just a few hours, max. And Jesus finds these guys that are talking about all the things that were happening, Look at verse 16. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So even though they followed him before his death, they didn't recognize him now after his death. That's very significant. But let's keep reading. Verse 17. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. It's, it's the look of the disappointed. Look at verse 18. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and the, and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. So those things, those are the things that have just happened right before, our, like just hours, or just hours from, from this, all of this traumatic experience. Now look at verse 21, because it's so significant. I think it gets right to our hearts. It says, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had, we had hoped that this Jesus who we were following, he was, he was a prophet, he was mighty in deed and power. We loved following him, that he was delivered up to die by our people. All right? And we had hoped, it's, it's so disappointing because we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And they, they go on, they say, yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. I'm going to keep reading in a moment, but I just want to stop right there because I want to talk about the power of disappointment for a moment. And the power of disappointment, in my opinion, hinges on verse 21 where it says, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem. Now, the dream for, for these, these people here that are walking on the road, as, 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 uh, as Jewish people, their hopes were very high because they've been waiting for, for centuries and centuries and centuries and the promised Messiah. The promised Messiah would, would re redeem. The, whole, the promised Messiah would buy them all back. The promised Messiah would, would, uh, would set Israel free from foreign government, specifically the Romans. 
the, the promised Messiah would establish God's kingdom on earth. And so, so the, the Messiah in, in these people's minds was going to come and they were going to kick Rome out of there. They were going to set up a, 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 a reign on the earth, like where, where heaven was going to rule on earth. That's what it was going to look like. Uh, the, the promised Messiah would walk in all the fulfillment of the promises of the forefathers. So if we're talking about, about a dream for the future, Israel had the Jewish people have a dream or had a dream that their life would get better when the Messiah would come and he would be a conquering king, all right, and he would set up his reign on earth and that everything would finally be how, what our hearts ache for it to be. Have, you, have we gotten so distracted from our hearts that we've lost touch with the ache that we were created for. Like, I want to experience life and not just the second-rate fragments of it. I want to experience life. I was meant to experience more than I am, right? And so these guys, they're waiting on a Messiah that will finally bring them peace, where they can finally raise their families, where they can finally be at rest. And the Jewish people were waiting for this conquering Messiah, not a dying one. And it's interesting that, that these guys who follow Jesus, these guys describe Jesus right now not as the Messiah, but they just describe him as a prophet, mighty indeed. I think that might be because they thought he was the Messiah, and now they're recognizing that he's not. Man, we thought this guy was the Messiah. I guess now he's just a prophet. He did great things. Had he, had he set up his... his uh, government on earth and kicked out the Romans and all these things, we would have recognized him as the Messiah. But now do you know what we are? Is that we are disappointed. We hope that he was the guy. Now he's not. You guys tracking with me? It's interesting here that what they wanted is, is they wanted Israel to be redeemed. And then they actually, they actually, see, they, they actually see Jesus' death as the disappointing part. It's like Jesus lost that Jesus went to the cross. If you're expecting a conquering king and you get a suffering Messiah or a suffering servant, man, that feels like a loss, that feels like hope's dashed. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, but he suffered and died on a cross. That's just, it just didn't go in the direction that we thought. You know, throughout, the, throughout this story here, there's many responses to the disappointment that the cross bought, brought instead of the kingdom, right? Do you remember a guy named Judas? When Judas learned that Jesus was going to go to the cross, he's sitting celebrating the Passover, and Jesus releases him to go and go what's in your heart to do quickly. What was in his heart is, hey, I don't want to, I know that Jesus is going to the cross. That is disappointing. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to betray Jesus for money. And that's what he does. A lot of people, when they're disappointed, they react in betrayal. And they just go, man, I'm disappointed. You let me down, Jesus. Here I have, a, can you imagine Judas? And he even sounds almost right. Judas, I've followed you for all these years. I thought that you were the Messiah. I've been seeing you bring the, the kingdom of God to earth and healing people and driving out demons and healing all these diseases and speaking life into darkness and dead places. I've been seeing all this. I thought you were the Messiah, but here you're talking about going to the cross. I guess I'll just get what I can, and that's 30 pieces of silver, and so I'm going to betray you. So he does that. Or you think about all of the disciples, really, who, when their safety was threatened, in the garden of Gethsemane while Jesus is praying and they're sleeping and he's praying so hard that he's sweating blood, all right? 
and they're sleeping, when the authorities show up, everybody kind of runs for their lives. Right? So there's many responses to, hey, and Peter is like, hey, now's the time to grab swords. He actually cuts a guy's ear off and named Malchus. And Jesus goes and puts the ear back on and says, and says this is it. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. This isn't that kind of rebellion. Peter's like, what? Well, I guess I'm out of here then. And he goes and he, he disowns Jesus and betrays Jesus. And eventually all the disciples who follow Jesus, just they... Jesus is dead, and so they just kind of go back to their lives during the time of silence, like this weekend that we just celebrated. But here we see, we see Cleopas, this person, and another traveler. We don't know if this is Cleopas's wife or just a friend, or these are two travelers on a road. They are doing a similar thing here. They're like, well, I guess it's over. It was a good run, so we thought. Turns out Jesus is just a prophet, not the Messiah. So what they're doing is they're, they're just going home. I would say disappointed with God. Jesus died. He didn't establish the kingdom. Back to normal. So can I, can I tell you this, though? I want to talk about, uh, about all of these people, that disappointment in God did not drive Jesus away from Cleopas and the traveler. Disappointment in God actually drew Jesus into the conversation. Man, I want to speak to that for one moment and go rogue for a second because there's so many of you that you're disappointed in God or you think that God's disappointed in you and so you keep God at a, at a stiff distance. I want to let you know if you be honest about your disappointment, God would come running into your conversation. All right? It's just, just your, your fear of letting God know how you actually feel, it just shows your very small view of who God actually is. I want to tell you right now, he can handle your disappointment. He can handle your discouragement. He can, he can handle all your anger and all your bitterness that has accumulated as a result of a, of a disappointing life. All right? And so I want you to see here that Jesus, amidst all this disappointment, amidst all of this worldview that's, that's being turned, these people have been, have been trained since they were little kids. The Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. He's going to come in not riding a donkey, riding a, a conquering horse. All right? He's going to set up a rule and a reign. But here they see Jesus riding a donkey into, into Jerusalem, hanging on a tree, on a cross, on Golgotha. And they're like, What? And now they're talking about this massive dis disappointment, and it is in this context that Jesus comes. So we're often afraid to bring our disappointments to God. We're often afraid to bring our disappointments to church. And I get it. <laughs> I tell you what, if you show up in church without a happy face on, people are going to make you feel bad. I want to let you know, people aren't Jesus, all right? All right? <laughs> The church isn't perfect, and I'm telling you, here's, it's supposed to be. It is supposed to be. It's interesting how many people are hunting for the perfect church. I'm looking for one. This one's kind of okay. Hey, let me tell you what. None of them are kind of okay. All of them are full of very imperfect people. Very imperfect preaching, very imperfect everything, very imperfect children's ministry. Even right now, surely one of the kids are stealing your precious baby's Easter eggs out of their baskets. I promise you, all right? And we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to deal with that and all the emails and all the insults and we're gonna hear the F word all over. It's gonna be really over, over little Easter eggs and children's game. It's just like we're looking for perfection. Let me tell you what, God is not. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he, actually, he wants to find the most disappointed people, the people that were highest on hope, the most let down, and he wants to start there. In other words, I, I, I've, I've learned this in 25 years of being a pastor. 
that God rarely starts in the front of the church. These are the hungry ones up here. These are the really cool ones. These are the ones that make the pastors feel great. They respond to every altar call. They're crying. Their heart's already won. All right? Especially Tom. Tom loves the front row guys. All right? You know, you know what I'm saying? Tom, just wave at everybody. Come on. You know what Jesus loves? There he is. There he is. He'll, Tom does the best altar calls ever. He'll make, he'll make even Christians get saved again. I'm telling you. All right? You know, you know when Jesus looks in a room like this, you know where he looks? The back. The, dis- the ones that don't want to get too close. Because, listen, I've tried this. I've done this. Don't, I, I want to keep my guard up. I don't want to let anybody else in. Jesus starts in the back. He starts in the back. I would say this in the kingdom, the people in the back are closer to the front. All right? The ones that are most disappointed. And it's interesting, though, the, the, the object of Cleopas's disappointment. This is, there's incredible irony in what, what Cleopas and these two travelers are disappointed about. What they're telling Jesus that they're disappointed in is that, hey, here's what we thought. We thought that Jesus was going to be the one to redeem Israel, but what he actually did is he died on a cross, and then we can't find him three days later. Is that ironic? On, on this side of, of history, it is. But if you put yourself in the, in the middle of, of this situation, it's understandable. What made these two most disappointed was, listen, was the death of Jesus. We're so disappointed that Jesus died, which ironically, listen, here's the irony in it. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, but here's the irony in it. It's the death of Jesus that actually redeems these people, not disappoints. It could it be that we're, what we're disappointed in is actually what God wants to use to fulfill all of his promises, his dreams, and his destiny over our life? Could it be? Could it be that instead of being disappointed and hitting the road and going back home or going back to work or getting angry or getting bitter, could it be that we press into the disappointment and we wait for Jesus there? Could it be? I know so many of us, man, our natural our natural instinct is to run far away from what disappoints us most. And I'm saying that it is the, it's the disappointing conversation that Jesus came running to. Ha! Listen to this. If you keep reading here, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Let me keep reading. Verse 22. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Now, interestingly enough, these guys are disappointed and confused and troubled by, by heaven visiting earth here, like, right? They're like seeing angel. They're hearing about testimonies of angelic visitations, the tombs empty and stuff. They're like, man, this is so sad, right? All right, that's sometimes we can't see clearly when we're disappointed. Look at verse uh, 24. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Now listen to this. Man, this is when it gets really good, and this is when it answers a question that we really need to have answered. All right, look at verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones. Now it's easy to hear that from Jesus. Uh, Imagine a, uh, a very kind, loving father laughing over his kids, thinking they can drive the car. You know, Dad, I can do this better than you. They're like, okay, kids, you're so silly. I'm going to pat you on the head. I'm going to, you know, pinch your cheekies and buckle you in. We're going for a ride. He said, oh, foolish ones, 
and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken? Was it not necessary that the Christ would listen? Wow, man, this is good. Was it not necessary that the Christ should, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Now, man, this, this is the hinge of the entire passage. The hinge of the, 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 the crux of the passage is not that Cleopas was disappointed. All right? The crux, of the, the crux of the passage was not that Jesus came into a disappointing conversation and liked it. The crux of the passage is verse 26. Let me read it again. Was it not necessary? Was it not necessary? That the Christ, that's the Messiah, should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And beginning, listen to this, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets. So Moses and all the prophets, we're talking about the Torah or the Old Testament. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, this is really incredible, and I want to talk about why it was necessary that Jesus suffer and die, all right? And I'm almost, I'm almost done, just another 57 minutes, and we'll be out of here, all right? All right, hang tight. I know it's Easter. I know you got stuff to eat, all right? It's lamb. There's all, all kinds of great things, all right? Listen, just a few more minutes. You don't want to miss this part. Why was it not just nice, but necessary? Why was it not just good, but necessary? Why was it necessary that, that Jesus not, not just come and set up his kingdom, but suffer and die? That wasn't a mistake. That was necessary. It had to happen. Why was it necessary that Jesus suffer and die? Well, let me tell you, there's a lot of reasons, and we're going to flip around the Bible here, and I'm going to show you a couple places. But here's the first place is that, and this is, this is the minor one, and this is massive. So many people aren't going to deeply believe what I'm about to say. This is massive, but th- this isn't even the best. We're, gonna, we're just going to warm up. But Jesus' death shows or demonstrates his love. All right? God wants humanity to know that they are loved. Just think about that for a second. When is that really preached in church? Usually we we say, oh, love's just like ice cream. You really need to get into the meat. I'm telling you, love is the meat. If you don't know that you're loved by God, all right, you will just be a performer all of your life. And talk about disappointment. You weren't made to perform for humanity. You were made to know God and specifically know that you were loved by him. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, God shows, or some, you can also translate this word shows as demonstrates. In other words, he doesn't just talk about it, that he backs it up with, with like liquid evidence. Like, look at this. You can see it. You can taste it. You can touch it. God shows or God demonstrates his love for us. Put yourself in the us. God shows his love for us in that while, I mean, I love this part. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, while we were still enemies with God, Jesus died for the ungodly. Man, this is, now this is so backwards. Religion says work really hard to get to God, and then if God likes your performance, he'll let you in. But a relationship with Jesus, in other words, someone that is convinced that, God, that they are loved by God and trust the love of God. You don't work for 
God's love, you recognize that while I was an enemy with God or a sinner, in other words, saying I was a sinner means that I didn't want God, I wanted to be God. So while I I thought I was better than God, Christ died for me. This, my friends, shows his love. Shows his love. Who does this? Loves enemies. Loves people. You know what we say? Say, hey, you want to make that bed? You're going to have to sleep in it. And it feels good. It's just not the heart of the Father. God says, hey, you've made a bed. You thought life was better without me. I love you so much. I just can't. I'm coming after you anyway. So Jesus' death shows his love. Now, that is really good, but that's, that, is, that is not what was absolutely necessary for Christ to suffer, though, all right? Let me tell you something that's going to sound really strange to you, and you might boo me off the stage, but like, hear me out on this. If all that happened at the cross was a demonstration of God's love, it would not have been enough. You hear that? We got to be careful, we got to be careful these days because we have lots of t-shirts that cross equals love. It does. That's not all, not all it equals. If God just showed his love and we're like, hey, we're loved, we're loved. Hey, you need to be more than loved. You need to be bought. You need to be purchased. You need to be paid for. All right? So Jesus' death, listen to this. Here's what it does. It pays for our sin. It pays for our sin. Now, I want to flip to the Old Testament here because do you see in this passage that it says, says so Jesus, and verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. I want to skip to one of these prophets and show you probably, I can't imagine that Jesus didn't skip to Isaiah 53. The prophet Isaiah, specifically in verse 4, where, where Isaiah, centuries before Jesus, the suffering servant, prophesies, that, he, that the Messiah would come dying and suffering for us and then <laughs> come on a white horse, just rocking it out, all right? Look at, look at Isaiah 53, starting with verse four. Surely he, or that's the Messiah, has borne our griefs. That means our griefs were upon him and carried our sorrows. That means our sorrows were upon him. Yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. That means our transgressions were upon him. He was crushed for our iniquities. That means our iniquities were upon him. Listen to this. Upon him was the chastisement or the punishment that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Man, that, that, is, that is, we're all sinners, we all thought we could do life better than, than God. We have turned everyone to his own way. So listen, I know, I know Adam ushered it all in, but we, we just fell right in line. We did exactly the same thing that he did. We just thought we could do it better. We have all turned everyone to his own way. And listen to this. And the Lord, that's the Father, has laid on him, that's the Son, the iniquity of us all. All right? This is more than love. This is payment. This is payment for what separated you from God, all right? If, if you say, hey, I know that God loves me, but you never receive the payment that he made for what stands in between the relationship that you two were, were destined to have, you can never have it. Do you see this? 
all right? Something has to happen for, for the sin that you build up over, over your entire life, where you basically gave God the finger, ran the other way, said, I can do better than you. I, I don't want you. And here, Jesus out of love, like that's what's motivating the Father's heart, love. But what's happening at the cross is not just that we're like, oh, we're loved, we're loved, we're loved. But what the scriptures say is that, that the Messiah would take on the transgressions, the iniquity, the sins of us all. Transgression is not a word that we really use much. It is, it is you know, we could do a whole series just on this word. But transgression in its most basic definition is this, offending God by wanting something besides him and then doing the deeds that walk in that direction. Offending God by wanting something besides him and then doing the deeds that just, that walk in that direction. And then we hear the word iniquity. Iniquity is immoral behavior, but it's not just the behavior. It's, it's behavior that stems from immoral character. So it's not just the deeds, it's the heart behind them. It's, it's misplaced affections. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, this, it's, it's this grievous stuff. It's this in, enmity with God. So if you're a transgressor, you want something other than God, and then you live in that direction. And if, you, if you're someone that has iniquity, which we all are, we've got, we've got a character that is perverse, twisted, actually thinks that we can do better with our own lives. Now, if you keep walking in that direction, you fall in a pit that you can never get out of, right? Man, I, I, I don't need us to hold our hands up. We could all testify about what a life that goes in that direction looks like. The wonderful thing I want to tell you this morning, though, is that Jesus paid for all of those directions. Jesus paid for a heart that was twisted and perverse, Jesus paid for everything that would keep you from him. And Jesus paid for everything that all of those transgressions and iniquities ushered in because of. You hear this? This is why it was necessary that Jesus suffer and die because there, there is iniquity and transgression and sin that stands between you and God. And you can be a transgressor and actually kind of believe in your head that Jesus loves you and still not have your sins paid for. I think this is what the church is full of. People that say, oh, yeah, 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 I know God loves me. I know he died for me and all this stuff. But in your heart, it's never been, it's never been paid for. In other words, what the Bible says is it's never been put under the blood. See, at the cross, why is, it, why is it necessary for Jesus to suffer and die? Because on the cross, his body was broken and his blood was shed for you. And his blood is the only thing that can pay for all of your iniquities, all your transgressions, all your sins, all your wounds, all your griefs. That's it. A recollection of his love opens the door, but you have to receive the payment that Jesus made. Why is it necessary for Jesus to suffer and die? Well, Jesus' death is payment for all of these things forever. Forever. It's a payment forever. It's like when you're adopted into a family, you're in the family forever by court order. It's legal, binding. You're not welcome into the family as long as you obey the rules, as long as you perform well, as long as you do your chores. That's called religion. That's what the church has been smoking for years. Actually, I wish they would smoke it. It'd be more fun, all right? They've been, they've been selling it. It's been nasty. It's been despicable. I mean, I, I, I've run from it too. I can't stand that. I'd rather not go to church than go to one smoking that. You have to smoke the good stuff. 
I know I'm talking about smoking. I never have, but it's, it's very fun right now. Like, I'm like, like, wow. It's like God wants us to smoke something heavenly, right? So, yes. Maybe it's like the incense in the temple is kind of like the new smoke. I, I, I don't know. Let's not go there. This Easter. <laughs> but I was drunk last week. I couldn't talk, all right? So let's just, you have to watch back to that one, all right? Ma'am, listen, there's more fun in the kingdom than you know, all right? Like, it is not, it is not, here, here's kingdom life, or being a Christian is not you trying to pay for your sins. Being a Christian is knowing that God loves you, and, and because of his love, he has paid for your sins and receiving that gift. It's like adoption papers. You know, when you become, when you become a Christian, you don't become an angel that serves God. Angels actually wish they were you. You become a son if you're a boy, or a daughter if you're a girl, in the kingdom of of the son the father loves. So Jesus is your brother and the father is your father and the Holy Spirit is, you'll find out. (laughs) So listen, so Isaiah 53 prophetically says that Jesus took your sin upon him or upon himself. He didn't ask you to pay for it. He took it on him. He didn't, he didn't ask you to do a, perfor- uh, a good performance. He performed. He performed. He's the only one that could. That's why Jesus is not just any other guy. That's why he's not just a prophet. That's why he's not just a good teacher. It's why Jesus is the eternally begotten Son of God, incarnate in this world, taking on flesh, living a sinless, perfect life, obeying the law with perfection. Do you know that the law was never given to us from God to save you? Did you know that? You know, this is like law-preaching churches. Man, I'm just like, where did you go to school? The law, was, the law was not given to save you. It was actually given to you so you would fail over and over and over and come to the end of yourself and realize that you can't obey the law. You need a suffering Messiah who would obey it for you then give it to you because of his death. And might I add, his resurrection. So let me, let me, let's hop to the, the New Testament for a moment because I don't think that there's any passage in the scriptures that just like in one verse just, just says it like this. This is taking Isaiah, those, those passages in Isaiah 53 and in one verse Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for our sake he, that's the Father, made him, that's the Son, to be sin. For our sake. Not to be a good example So it would benefit us for our sake. He, the Father, made him, the Son, to be sin, who knew no sin. That's why a, a sacrifice from anybody else would not have worked. So that in him, that's in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. All right, listen, guys, you don't become righteous by living good and offering your righteousness to God as a gift. It never works. It never works. It never works. You can try till your dying day. It will never work. You know how you become righteous? Is by receiving as a gift the righteousness that Jesus earned for you. Jesus' righteousness becomes your righteousness in a great exchange. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this is, this is what, this is in theological terms, this is what we call substitutionary atonement. Where Jesus stepped, where, where Jesus stepped into your place and took the punishment that you deserve as your substitute. And then you know what you get? You get 
all the benefit of the life that Jesus lived, and he gets all the penalty of the life that you lived. This is what being a Christian is. Not trying, not trying to be religious, not following rules, do's, 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 don'ts, don'ts, don'ts. No wonder you're disappointed. Man, there's, there's one price that was paid for us, and it's, it is the righteous one. The righteous one steps into your place. He gives you his life, and he takes yours and pays for it for all of eternity. Woo, man, this is, this is shouting stuff. Like, I don't know why we're not. Maybe it's because guests are here. Let it out, guys, all right? For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus at the cross becomes your substitute. Now, let's go back to Cleopas. Cleopas, Cleopas is disappointed at the cross. And Jesus shows him from scripture that no, the Messiah was actually going to come and be your substitute. Before a kingdom is set up on earth, you know what has to happen? Before, before redemption can happen, do you know what needs to happen first? It's another R word called reconciliation. You have to be reconciled to the Father. And that, the, the only way that you can do that is through what Jesus did at the cross and receiving that. So we're celebrating. I haven't even talked about the resurrection of Jesus yet. But so let me, what, why was it necessary that Jesus suffer, not just suffer, but then die? Because Jesus suffered taking on all of the stuff that we deserve, all the stuff that was never from his heart, paying for it all. And then he had to die because you know why he had to die? All right? It's because he had to be raised. Because do you know, do you know the evidence that Jesus' substitution worked? Do you know the evidence that Jesus' payment worked? Do you know the evidence that Jesus did indeed live a sinless life? Do you know what the evidence of that is? Is the resurrection. The resurrection is the Father saying, it worked. <laughs> My boy did it. He did it. Yes, he did it. And everyone he purchased, that's good. <laughs> like, hey, payment, successful. Reconciliation and redemption, restored. It worked, it worked, it worked. And all heaven rejoices. Listen, listen to this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. It's not from you. It's from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's why it's crazy when Christians are actually operating in the opposite of reconciliation. I'll just be nice today because we're in church. <laughs> it's just like, man, that's like anti your new nature. Look at verse 19. That is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal. Listen, listen. The, the God, the real deal is appealing to your hearts today. And do you know what his appeal is? That is supposed to actually come off the, the hearts and the, and the lips of, of his reconcilers or his church or his sons and daughters, his family. Here's his appeal. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Here's why. <laughs> right back at it. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is how it works. Be reconciled to God. You see? So at the resurrection, it's the Father saying, payment successful. It's like you guys use your card and you do that tap thing, and then, you know, the, the dots are going, and then it lights up green. You're like, oh, good, I just bought it. 
right? The father raising the son is like, this worked. Payment successful. All your sins and your infirmities and your stuff and the stuff that has just robbed you and haunted you and messed up your entire life. It is all paid for at, by, the, by the blood of the cross, the precious blood. It purchases you. And so here this morning on uh, Easter morning, Resurrection Sunday, really, I, I don't have something, uh, you know, spectacular to say. I don't have like this crazy story that'll, you know, really, you know, warm your heart. If your heart isn't warmed by the righteousness of Jesus and the payment of Jesus at the cross, like, I, listen, I just can't do it. Here's all I can say is while you have breath in your lungs, there is a capacity for you to no longer be driven by a, a, a second-rate existence where you're just disappointed all the time. Your business is being driven by your disappointments. Your leadership and your family has been driven by your disappointments. Your whole life is known for your disappointments. That is the, who wants that anymore? I want to tell you this. The cross is actually not what disappoints us. The cross is actually what makes us come alive. And so, but what many of us have done, and I know I'm looking at church people here. All right, I know I'm looking at church people here, but it doesn't matter what, what house you've attended. Like Keith Green, the old Jesus movement, radical. He said, you know, just going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger, right? And so, so many people are like, yeah, I'm Christian, Christian, Christian. But here's, here's the thing. You've never received payment for your sins. You've never received that. You kind of, in some capacity, believe that, that God loves you, but it's not enough, that's what opens the door. It's, what, it's, it's, it's the, the, the love is the, the love of the Father is the motivating factor that it would actually send his son to, to pay for your sins. But if someone gives you a hundred million billion zillion dollars and you never receive it, you don't have it. So this morning, here's all I can say. Hey, listen, maybe you came with your mom. Maybe you're only here because you love your mom. All right? I, I, I don't care why you're here. I don't care. I, I don't care how you smell. Jesus doesn't, all right? I don't care. Like, this is like, I love imperfect church. I love, I love when the messy gather. The messy are the ones who Jesus wants. And I want you to hear this, though. You're wanted. You're wanted by God. You're wanted by God. You're pursued by God. And there's a cry from God's heart for you. For you. And what he wants to do is he wants to give you what you can never earn. He wants to give you forgiveness righteousness, redemption. He actually doesn't just want to save you so you can somehow, he is not entertained by your good works. Hey, this is an entertainment value here. Here's what he wants. He wants you to be a part of his family and you have to receive that. And the Bible says you receive that by faith. All right? And we prayed, prayed lots of prayers, all this stuff. Some people got saved because they prayed a prayer. Let me just tell you, let me show you in the Bible. It's going to take the last two minutes to show you what faith actually looks like. There's a story in the Bible of a man that was in a field and he's just walking randomly in a field. I love random walkers. Man, I just like, man, I, my heart really connects with them. Some of you connect with, you know, being discouraged and what, all this stuff. I command, I, I, I connect with random walkers. And this random walker is walking through a field and he stumbles on a treasure. And then he, when he looks at that treasure, he sees that this treasure is worth more than everything else that I've amassed with my entire life. So what the Bible says is this man, in his joy, he, he leaves the treasure. He actually hides it. He goes and he sells everything that he has so he can use those funds to buy that field. Now that, my friends, that is what faith in action looks like. You find the treasure. The treasure is Jesus. You say, Jesus is better. 
It's way better than everything that has disappointed me in the whole life that I've tried to amass. He's better. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to liquidate all of my assets. That's called repentance. And I'm going to go buy that field. I've got more joy in Jesus than anything else that I could have ever had, you see. That's what faith looks like. That's what faith looks like. It's not just playing, it's not a ticket to heaven. This isn't a bus. This is a family, guys. This is a family. God wants you as a son and daughter, not a passenger, you see. Let's just bow our heads for one moment. Let me tell you what's going to happen. I, already, I feel it happening. I, feel, I just felt like, like 11 people got saved. Seriously. You don't have to repeat a prayer after me. I just felt like a lot of people just got saved. But for like the, the 21 others. Just right now, I just want you to say, hey, Jesus, you are a better treasure than all the things that have disappointed me in my life. And I just say today, I'll walk away from all of my old life to walk into your arms. Your arms are better than anything I've ever had. Today, I just I walk into your arms. I receive the price that you paid for me. And today, I actually believe that I'm actually wanted by you loved by you. You've demonstrated that. I believe what you did on the cross. I believe that that counts towards my life. I receive it by faith. I walk away from all of my sins. I declare you now as the Lord of my life, the treasure of my life, the everything of my life. In Jesus' name. Thanks for checking out our Sermon of the Week. If you have questions or would like to get connected, download our app or visit us at providencecommunity.org.